Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside the Aisle. I'm your host, Nikki Wolf, and today we have such a fun video and conversation in store for you. We brought back one of our most requested guests and Vanessa is a women's health nutritionist, fertility awareness educator, and functional health coach. She works with women of all ages and menstruating individuals to help them balance hormones, heal digestive issues, have PMS-free cycles, and get pregnant naturally. Today's episode is going to be the masterclass on hormones, meeting your reproductive hormones. So giving a deep dive into those hormones and just giving us a better understanding all about it. If you have not heard our first episode with Vanessa, go back to episode 20, where we talk about periods and PMS and the fact that you should not be having painful periods and what you can do to fix them. So let's welcome Vanessa to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Nick. I'm so happy to be back. We are going to have a very good conversation today and I am pumped about it. I am so excited. And this is something that I'm genuinely interested. I know so many of my friends and colleagues are really interested in, you know, hormones. I think this maybe not a buzzword, but it's, it's becoming bigger. And I think we're understanding how crucial and influ um, influential hormones are to our body mm -hmm. and our health. 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're just kind of getting over a sickness. So maybe your morning looks a little bit different than normal, but I'm just curious, what does your typical morning routine look like? Yes, that's a great question. And in the health and wellness space, morning routines, like they're, they're a big deal. Mm -hmm. They are a very, very big deal. And I've played around with a lot of different things over the years, but I have found my tried and true is I wake up. First thing I do is I hydrate. So big fan of the adrenal cocktail, which essentially is just remineralizing your water with, I do a uh, juice from half a lemon. I do a half teaspoon of a good quality salt and I do two ounces of aloe vera juice. So that's giving me like a really beautiful amount of electrolytes first thing in the morning, take that upstairs. I get dressed, I put on my makeup, do my thing. And then typically I like to head out on at least like a 10 minute walk outside, huge on getting sunlight first thing in the morning. If anyone's listened to Dr. Huberman's podcast, he like, he talks about it all the time and he fully convinced me. And I, I'm telling you, it sets my tone for the day. And when I don't do it, I really do notice that I'm not as chipper as when I do do it and I get outside. And then I come back, I have my breakfast and usually focus on a high fat, high protein breakfast, lots of fiber. And then I drink my coffee and I move on with my day. Usually I'll do like maybe a little bit of journaling. Maybe I'll do a little bit of breath work or meditation. I kind of just see what my body needs in that moment. But I don't do a really drawn out morning routine like I used to. Sometimes I found that stressed me out more because mm -hmm. then it's three hours later and I'm like, oh, what my day is gone. <laughs> like what the heck? I love hearing your routine and for so many reasons of that, it seems approachable. It's not all or nothing, zero to hero. And even your walk, guys, it doesn't have to be an hour walk. Yeah. A 10 minute walk is sufficient. And sometimes it's, you know, pulling back, you know, when I talked about like progress over perfect and just being consistent, mm -hmm. you know, just even if you work out for five, 10 minutes that day, getting in the habit of being consistent over, you know, going from here to always there is going to be so much more valuable for your health, for your longevity. And I don't know if, um, I don't think I've listened to that episode on Huberman, um, but how important the morning sun is for not only increasing serotonin, but serotonin mm -hmm. will later convert, I believe convert or help convert into melatonin. So that yeah. morning sunlight, if you are looking to better your sleep, 
get morning sunshine. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know. 100%. And it's sometimes it's, if I'm not feeling a walk, I will still go step out on my porch in my robe, in my water. And I will just look up at the sky for two minutes, like little things like that, that sound ridiculous. And you, you might see your neighbor do it and be like, well, what are they doing? But trust me, it feels amazing. It will actually improve your quality of life. And exactly like you're saying, quality of sleep dramatically it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Don't knock it till you try it. Absolutely. And for me, I mean, I, I know sunscreen can be controversial, but I, you know, one thing I just learned yesterday is we're not necessarily getting vitamin D from the sun. We're getting the UV rays that then convert and mix with our cholesterol that then creates vitamin D. And so making sure that we're getting that morning sunshine without mm -hmm. the SPF is going to be some, something that's yes. going to be really helpful. 100%. You got so. it. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's get into the meat of the show. Very, very excited. We are going to be meeting our reproductive hormones, kind of the masterclass, breaking down these hormones. What are they? What do they do? And maybe do like a little fun twist to help us memorize or help us remember what, what those main hormones function for. So take it away, Vanessa. Yes. Okay. So when we're talking about our reproductive hormones, we kind of have four main ones, but we are also going to piggyback on three additional ones. So we're going to start with the, the main diva. She is like our center of attention, estrogen. We love her. She is what gives us most of our feminine qualities. So when you think about your breasts that you usually, we usually have wider butt, hips, and thighs than our male counterparts or our more masculine counterparts. It also will give us more um, flush in our face, a more like the glow in our skin and more fullness in our lips. So think of a lot of your most feminine traits. A lot of that can come from estrogen. It also is very akin to that feminine energy, that rest and receive as opposed to the go, go, go that we'll talk about in our more masculine uh, okay. hormones. But estrogen is very, very feminine. And that's the way I kind of want you to think about it. But she has spice. Like she's not a passive, quiet, introverted feminine girl. She, she steals the show. She wants to be the center of attention. And a lot of the time estrogen can get out of control. And that's where a lot of people struggle with a lot of PMS, with issues with their cycle, with things like menstrual migraines, heavy, painful periods, weight gain, things like that. So estrogen plays a lot of roles in the body, but when it comes to the cycle, one major role is that it builds up your uterine lining. So it proliferates breast tissue. So this is why sometimes you get some swelling around um, your period in your breasts, but it also is what builds up the blood in your uterine lining so that if and when you do get pregnant, that egg has a nice place to implant and to grow. So that's a beautiful quality of estrogen, but it's also really important for maintaining energy levels, maintaining sex drive, maintaining our motivation to go out and do things. So estrogen is really, really crucial when it comes to not only maintaining those feminine traits, but also just keeping our bodies healthy, happy, and keeping our cycles regular. That is so helpful. And just classifying, kind of giving characteristics to this hormone is something very helpful for me. Um, and I'm hoping our listeners and Vanessa and I were chatting a little bit earlier and, um, I was telling her, I was like, estrogen reminds me of N Nigella. I think it's Nigella Lawson. And she is a food network. Maybe she's not on food network, but she's a food host and she's this British woman and just like so curvy and sexy and beautiful. And like, it's so funny. I'm going to have to sh share a clip but there's a clip at the end of one of her episodes where she goes into the fridge at like two in the middle of the, or 2 AM. And she just made a chocolate, like this luscious chocolate cake. 
and she grabs it with her hand and just like eats it. And she's like the most sexual feminine and it, but it's, it's such a savage, like spicy. And the way she explains thing of like, this is luscious, like crummy, crispy. I don't know why, but it totally reminds me of her. Yes. So maybe you'll make the connection if you know who Nigella is. If not, YouTube Nigella chocolate cake, you'll see what I mean. So yes. Awesome. Okay. We have estrogen and, you know, kind of understanding she's not passive. It's a very mm -hmm. feminine. That's what kind of brings that feminine characteristics. And if estrogen is out of balance. Now, when we say out of balance, are we referring to too much estrogen or what about too low of estrogen? Yeah, both are, are equally valid, can completely happen. Too much estrogen is more common, but too low is still a very prominent issue as well. They're just going to look a little bit different. So too much estrogen, this is honestly most of us walking yeah. around. I would say baseline levels of estrogen, just as a society, they're running higher in both male and female um, populations, which is a very scary thing, but something that we're, we're starting to bring a little bit more attention to. So this is looking like long, heavy, painful periods. So when okay. you think about your period being bad, that's usually estrogen. It can also, and will also play into some other hormones. We're going to talk about like progesterone and cortisol and insulin and things like that. But mainly estrogen is going to be responsible for that heavy, that long, that painful period. A lot of the cramping, a lot of the breast tenderness and swelling before the period. And also some lower estrogen symptoms can be a very light or scant period. So it's not a good thing if you never fill yeah. more than one tampon per day. That's not yeah. something that we want to flex. We actually want to have at least two, three, four full tampons in a day, for example. You also may notice a little bit more vaginal dryness. So if intimacy and sex is more painful for you, you're really struggling with your sex drive, or you don't get that kind of quote, quote unquote, wet feeling when yeah. you are engaging in intimacy, that can also be a, a chronic sign of low estrogen that we don't talk about very often. You can also just feel very blue, very blech, very low, very mood swingy. That can also be a, a part of low or high estrogen as well. That makes so much sense. And I think I've heard maybe from Sarah Gottfried or something that estrogen is like that juicy hormone. And so that makes yeah. sense. If you're low, it tends to be very dry. And then if you're heavy, there's so much, it's an abundance. So totally. that makes perfect sense. Okay. So yeah. I feel like we got estrogen down. I know some of the other ones, progesterone. Yep. Let's, let's okay. talk about progesterone. Yeah. So progesterone, another diva, but in her own right. So if or if we think of estrogen being more like Lizzo, like that extroverted, very sexy, very in her power kind of hormone, then we want to think of progesterone more so as that introverted counterpart. So I might think of her more like Scarlett Johansson. So very still proud, very feminine, very sexy, but she takes a little bit more of that calm role. She's still very powerful. She's in Marvel movies, things like that, but she's a little bit more behind the scenes. She's not as outward. So I would think more as an introverted type of hormone when I think of, of progesterone, but so, so, so important. So progesterone is supposed to be high our second half of our cycle. So from ovulation, which will happen pretty much mid-cycle for most women, up until their next period, we should have soaring levels of progesterone. And this should help you feel calm. It should help you feel very introspected or introspect. Um, what am I trying to say? Inter or have very strong introspection. Is that what, I, is that what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, introspective. 
we get, we get, we yeah, get introspective. There we yes. go. That's the word. Yeah. So you're, you're going to want to feel more introspective. Thank you. So a lot of journaling, you might be contemplating things at this time. You might be thinking, okay, how am I feeling about my partner? How am I feeling about my job? How am I feeling about my friends? You're very, very curious. You usually will have less social capacity, which isn't a bad thing, but you want to spend more time alone. That's totally fine. And you're going to be a little bit more slow, maybe a bit more tired. You want to keep to yourself a bit more, but you shouldn't be sad or depressed or low. It's a very calm energy. And we talked about this in the last episode. We call progesterone our Netflix and chill hormone. So it's very much so low key. We're chilling out. We're having a good time. We still feel good, but you can see how those energies are completely, completely different. And progesterone has almost the opposite job of estrogen in a lot of ways. Estrogen proliferates that uterine lining, whereas progesterone maintains it in the uterus. So progesterone is the most important thing when it comes to carrying a baby to term, avoiding a miscarriage, making sure that we have a healthy cycle length, that we feel great before our periods. We're not feeling anxious, moody, irritable. We're not feeling like we're having trouble sleeping or we become, or we have insomnia the week before our period. All of those are going to be signs that progesterone's out of balance. Okay. So many things to tap into. First thing I want to address is get a little clarification. When you say proliferation, what does that mean? Yes. So when estrogen is proliferating the uterus, meaning uh, the uterine lining, it's building the uterine lining, progesterone is going to maintain that in the uterus. So it prevents it from just constantly shedding, right? Because if if that lining is heavy and thick, your body would hypothetically shed it at any time if progesterone wasn't there to keep it in the uterus. Okay. So proliferation is kind of like the opposite of shedding in this yeah, context. I, I guess you can say that. Yeah. Building versus, okay. Versus set, shedding. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And another thing, and like, I was smiling because, so I'm due in about two and a half weeks and I am somebody outside of pregnancy, ADD, OCD, anxiety, like very quick. I have high levels of testosterone. Um, just a lot of energy. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm learning from like undiagnosed ADHD that you tend to cut people off. And like, I've always been a talker and communicator. And what's so funny, and this is not a bag on my sister. I think it's totally spot on. She's like, Nikki, I've never liked you so much as I do when you're pregnant, because it makes sense with the progesterone. It's calmed me down. It's like taken the edge off. And yes, I'm an extremely passionate person and I can still get riled up, but it's, I mean, my anxiety is completely gone. Mm -hmm. Um, during pregnancy, like I feel like it's reversed all my symptoms. I feel more calm, more strong, more like able during pregnancy. And that makes so much sense because I have higher levels of progesterone. Mm -hmm. And so it's so funny how she says that. And like when you were talking about, you know, it's that chill component. And for some people that might take them to a very chill for me, it just brings me to normal. (laughs) So that's so interesting. That's hilarious. I I really like that kind of story and that personal aspect because that's exactly right. That's exactly what it does when we have healthy levels of progesterone. Yes. But where things can go awry is when most people produce too little. You can't really produce too much, whereas estrogen, we're all walking around with too much. Progesterone is created by one structure in the body, and it really can't pump out too much progesterone. That's almost impossible, but you can have low progesterone. And that is where most of us are at. We're anxious, we're moody, we're irritable, we're cranky, we're snippy, and we have a a short fuse. We don't want to be that way. Okay. So probably my normal is low progesterone (laughs) because that makes so much sense. Um, And you said there's one structure that creates progesterone. What is it that is creating that progesterone? 
Yes. So when you ovulate, there is a structure that's housing that egg. We, we call it like the little baggie that holds each individual egg. It's called a follicle. Okay. So as your, your body is getting ready to ovulate, it packages up each individual egg, about 15 to 20 per cycle, into a little baggie, into a little follicle. And when ovulation comes, your body selects the most dominant egg, the best egg that it, it thinks will, will give the healthiest baby. And it ruptures that follicle to ovulate that egg. That structure, that follicle that's left over, turns into something called the corpus luteum and okay. that is what produces progesterone gotcha gotcha okay and i think uh it's so funny because it sounds like a harry potter character spell corpus luteum um okay so we got our estrogen down we got our progesterone down now i know there's testosterone and maybe we chat about cortisol too so yes so what's interesting about testosterone is it gets a really bad rap because people are, a lot of us again are running around with too high of testosterone and that's giving us a lot of acne. It can give us hair loss on the head, hair growth on the body. But a very fascinating thing is that women actually produce more testosterone than estrogen. It's just, we produce a lot more estrogen than men. So it sounds almost backwards because you think of testosterone as a male hormone, but it is so, so, so important testosterone is what gives you your motivation, your drive, a huge piece of the sex drive, the ambition in life, your desire to build a career, to make a lot of money, to be a great mom, to do all the things, to make sure that you are active in your life and you're going after what you want. Also very important for building muscle, maintaining body composition. Like we do not want to shut off all testosterone. It is so, so important, but where it can go awry is when we get a little bit too much or when we have too low, then we're really lazy, we're unresponsive, we're sluggish, we feel very sad, very low, and we, we just don't have any motivation to do anything. Like we could care less. One way that I um, train you know, clients and stuff is I think of testosterone as mood muscles mojo. So to help, <laughs> to like, like you said, it's going to help boost the mood, whether that's the sexual libido mood or just like your overall energy and enthusiasm for life, help put on that muscle mass. And then the mojo, I think of that as like your inner confidence, that drive, yes. um, kind of that go-getterness. Yes. Our testosterone is like our Sasha Fierce, I feel like, you yeah. know, like yeah. Beyonce, Sasha Fierce, like that, that is testosterone. Yes. And it's so interesting because Yes. And I've learned recently, like we do have more testosterone than estrogen. Some people don't even think that men have estrogen and women have testosterone. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't think that it's that like, unless you go into science and stuff, like that's just such a normal conversation, men, testosterone, women, estrogen. So I think it's just so fascinating when people, you know, figure it out. We, we do have those. Mm -hmm. And they're very important. Yes. And then that kind of piggybacks onto cortisol because they, they have similar traits, but they're both still very different. And cortisol also very important when it comes to your drive, your motivation, your willingness to act. We like to think of cortisol as a stress hormone and it is, but that makes it have a negative connotation. Cortisol is not bad. As with every single hormone in the body, we want to find this Goldilocks zone of too much isn't good. We, you can have too much of a good thing, but also we don't want to be too low. We want to be in that nice, optimal, healthy range. And that's going to look different depending on the phase that we are in our life, depending on our age, um, depending on our gender, all of those things are going to affect our hormone levels. And cortisol, when we think of it as a stress hormone, 
it should be really high in the morning. It, it's literally what gets you out of bed. If not, you would just be in bed all day and you'd be like, oh, I can't today. I it kind of no works energy. like opposite of melatonin. Melatonin exact should be opposite. lowest in the morning, highest in the evening, and then swap that for cortisol. 100%. If you think about melatonin as your get good sleep hormone, your cortisol is like your daytime hormone. They're, you're exactly right. They're polar opposites. So cortisol, we want to get you ready in the morning. You should be energized in the morning, not slow, sluggish, dragging your feet. If no one can talk to you ap- until after your first cup of coffee, that's not a good thing. You should be able to produce cortisol on your own and not rely on an external stimulus. So cortisol is also really, really important when it comes to our drive and energy throughout the day. Very, very crucial when it comes to performance at work, our ability to focus, and of course, our ability to perform physically is really impacted by cortisol. Absolutely. And I do so many conversations uh, with clients and stuff on adrenals. And I had stage three adrenal fatigue. And I think it's something that is so prevalent. People just don't understand it. And it's, you know, if that tired, but wired, you, you feel exhausted, but you're also jittery. Well, your adrenals are going to help produce the cortisol in your body. And so if we are constantly overdoing too much stimulation, too much caffeine, not sleeping enough, overtraining, mm-hmm. under eating, your, I think about like your adrenals as this wet sponge. In order for it to work properly, it has to be lubricated. There has to be soap. And every time you go for your coffee, you're not uh, eating enough. You're overtraining. You're not sleeping enough. You squeeze out this sponge. But if we're not doing things to re-nourish and hydrate that, it's not going to work properly. And so Absolutely. it's so important to heal your adrenals, especially when it comes to cortisol. And the thing is, too, is like if you've had such high cortisol for so long, it could, and I'm pretty positive, it can switch to now your body's producing lower levels. And one thing that's so interesting to me is like we mentioned, cortisol should be highest first thing in the morning. If your very first thing is to go get coffee, which is going to boost more cortisol, that can throw it out of whack a little bit. And so something that I've always recommended clients is wait an hour, wait Mm -hmm. a little bit for that cortisol levels to drop down before you re-spike it again. So we're not saying, you know, not have your coffee, Obviously, if you have stage three adrenal fatigue, you probably should be avoiding it, but waiting a little bit and not making it the very first thing you go to. Mm -hmm. 100%. You're exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. So we got our cortisol down. Now let's kind of dive into those other hormones that you mentioned, you know, FSH, uh, luteal hormone or luteinizing hormone. I'd love to hear about those. Yeah, so we'll we'll round out with two that we're kind of going to piggyback together and then we'll talk about insulin last. Nice. So FSH and LH, FSH stands for follicle stimulating hormone, LH stands for luteinizing hormone. We kind of put them together. I like to think of them as sisters. They're not identical twins, but they're sisters. They work together a lot in the body and they are very very important for regulating sexual function and development in both when we're going through puberty but also beyond because they regulate our cycle in very 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 important ways. So follicle stimulating hormone, nice and easy, does exactly what it sounds like. Stimulates follicles to grow. So if you're wondering what a follicle is, back when we talked about the corpus luteum producing progesterone, remember I talked about how as your body's getting ready to ovulate, it packages up eggs in your ovaries into follicles, little baggies. And follicle stimulating hormone starts to mature those follicles to help grow those eggs, mature those eggs, get them ready for ovulation. So it is really important that 
our FSH is firing properly or else we don't mature those eggs for ovulation properly. As we develop into our later years of fertility, usually that axis kind of goes out of whack a bit. We produce a lot of FSH because your body's really, it's really pining for some healthy eggs. Like it's really struggling in there. And that can cause some early ovulation, some late ovulation, takes us into perimenopause. And then luteinizing hormone is what luteinizes or ruptures that follicle and actually triggers ovulation. So we have the growing and maturing of those eggs, very important. And then once they're plump and ready, we have luteinizing hormone come into the scene, rupture that egg or rupture that follicle so that egg can be released. And it actually triggers the act of ovulation, both incredibly, incredibly important. And often we'll see luteinizing hormone really high in those who have issues like PCOS. So there's a lot of times when those systems can become off balance. Okay. So automatically I'm like always go to with analogies in my brain. (laughs) This might be dumb, but when you were talking about the follicle stimulating hormone, I'm immediately thinking like a chicken who just had eggs, like hatched the eggs and it's starting to warm them up so that they get mature. And then once they're ready, they crack and they're good to go. So that was like automatically what came to mind. Um, Okay. So that makes sense. So you're saying with individuals with PCOS, that they have a higher level of luteinizing hormone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay. usually also higher levels of testosterone as well. Yes. And that's more so just because they're not ovulating consistently or properly. For a lot of them, they're not ovulating at all. They're just having these sporadic bleeding episodes because their body's like, all right, let's shed this lining and try again. Like, let's really see if we can ovulate. But what happens is that luteinizing hormone stays really, really high. And we'll usually see that on blood work, especially post birth control. It can kind of be a symptom. And then that also can elevate testosterone. High testosterone can elevate LH. And we're kind of in this difficult feedback loop. So too much luteinizing hormone is going to crack those eggs a little bit sooner, like prematurely. It's almost going to try to have you ovulate all the time because it's not happening successfully. Okay. So a lot of the time, the luteinizing hormone will kind of just stay chronically high, but no ovulation is happening. So okay. your body's like, well, we haven't ovulated. We need to keep this luteinizing hormone high. And that's how we get that, that issue of the polycystic ovaries that, that we were talking about before. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now I believe insulin is our, our last kind of meet the hormone. Yes. We'll come home with insulin. Insulin is so important and does not get talked about enough unless you're diabetic. No one mm-hmm. really knows about insulin unless yeah, you're, you're a type one or type two diabetic, or there's a severe issue you've got going on. Insulin is incredibly important when it comes to blood sugar. And if you haven't um, taken some time to dive into blood sugar at all, then it is a really beautiful place to start. Great resource is the Glucose Goddess. I'm sure you know her too, Nikki. Like her I book don't. is fantastic. Oh, follow her on okay. Instagram. Read her down. book, The Glucose Revolution. She's great. She wears a glucose monitor and just like yes. gives you everything you need to know about how to make sure that your glucose isn't going crazy. Well, and just to pause you real quick, glucose mon- I just did a video. Um, so during pregnancy, I think it's like between 28 weeks and something, you have to do the glucose drink. Mm-hmm. And I actually opted out and I worked with my doctor. Again, this is not advice. This is just my own story. Um, I worked with my doctor to see if there's other ways that I can kind of succeed or pass the test without doing the drink. Cause I just didn't want to drink 50 grams of sugar or hundred grams. And so I did a CGM, I did finger pricking, I did, mm. um, got my A1C checked, but prior to this, I found out I was severely 
hypoglycemic. So I would go to the 40s naturally, like on a regular basis, which 70 and below is hypo. I would go to the 40s, which most people go into a coma. And that was like a regular thing. So I was able to work with my doctor. I got a CGM and I wore it for a long time. But now, like before you have to like work through all these hoops and get into, you know, all this stuff. It is so readily available now. It is one of the best things you can do for your health and general wellness. And like when you're eating a meal to see how that affects your blood sugar, because as we're about to explain, like, or maybe we'll do a future episode on blood sugar (laughs) is, you know, how impactful elevated blood sugar can be in the body and Mm -hmm. how important it is to make sure that that's balanced. So CGM all the way. Absolutely. 100%. And that's the thing with blood sugar is it it feels so far removed from our everyday experience. But if you are experiencing anything along the lines of acne, hormonal imbalances, especially PCOS, weight gain, especially around the midsection, fatigue throughout the day, roller coaster moods or roller coaster energy, trouble sleeping, if you are waking up in the middle of the night often, like all of those things, and just to name a few, there is a laundry list that's associated associated with your blood sugar, but all of those things, not necessarily that this is your only root cause for those symptoms, but they're going to be improved by regulating your blood, blood sugar. And essentially insulin, when you eat sugar, what your body is going to perceive as sugar insulin comes into the equation and is like, ah, okay, let's get that out of the, out of the bloodstream. Let's put that into the fat cells. Let's store that in the liver. Let's also store that in the muscle. And that's also why one of the best things you can do to improve your hormones, your blood sugar, your insulin, your cycle, everything is put on some muscle. So instead of hitting the treadmill every single day, I want you focusing on strength training, really focusing on increasing your muscle, increasing your strength, deadlift, squat, put heavy things over your head, pick them up, put them back down again. It is essentially a sink for that extra glucose to go. And it helps insulin work much, much, much better. So fascinating. Um, I also think, I wonder if, so I've, oh my gosh, my mind's blown. Um, So PCOS, I have higher levels of testosterone. I can put on muscle very easily. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a more common thing with individuals with higher muscle that they tend to, and again, there could be so many things, but you tend to have lower blood sugar levels because maybe the excess amount of muscle is kind of utilizing that as, I don't know, there could be so many things, but just very interesting. Yeah. Just like an interesting connection. It's like, could that be? Yeah. Could that be? And yeah. you also can produce excess amount of insulin. I think that's much more rare. Um, mm. Most of indi- individuals that I work with, it is significantly that they are not producing enough insulin or insulin at all, or their levels of sugar intake is so much higher. I think of it as like, you're at, again, my analogies, but you're at a grocery store and you know there's one clerk And, you know, one or two customers, they put their food on the conveyor belt, that clerk can handle it. Like it's totally fine. But when you start getting three, four, five, six customers with all this food and that food, think of that as your sugar and only one clerk, think of that as your insulin, they can't keep up. And so they're moving really fast and the eggs are cracking and the bottles drop, you know, dropping. But if you have extra support, maybe more insulin, that's your bagger to help assist and facilitate Mm -hmm. with that influx of sugar, then things can move seamlessly, but it's when things kind of get out of whack. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's really important that we stay sensitive to that insulin because sometimes insulin's knocking, but your body's not really noticing. And so now you're producing a lot and, and your body's just not even registering that insulin is in the equation. So you mentioned sensitive, and I think this is something that 
loses people significantly. And I've heard somebody else actually not even use the word sensitive anymore because that means like, it seems like it's this direction. Can you explain to listeners, like, what does that actually mean being sensitive or insulin sensitive? Yes. Okay. So when it comes to the sensitivity, it means that when it is in the system, your body recognizes it. It can utilize it. The system is working well. We think of it as sensitive versus resistant or along that spectrum. So if over here you are really, really sensitive, boom, insulin comes into the equation and things go smoothly. Everything is great. We were putting the blood or we're putting the sugar in the bloodstream where it needs to go, where it's going off without a hitch. And then the other side of the spectrum is complete resistance or very high resistance. Insulin is trying to break your door down and your body's like, hmm, I don't hear anything. I have no idea that insulin is at my door knocking. That is what we want to avoid. We want the sensitivity to be high. We want to make sure that when it is in the equation, your body recognizes it, utilizes it very quickly. Everything goes off without a hitch. We want to avoid that unfortunate, very common issue of people's insulin is off the charts and it is not working properly because they are constantly eating a ton of carbohydrates, a ton of sugar, not enough fat and protein. They're not moving their bodies. They're not sleeping properly. All these things are going to mess with your ability to um, sense your insulin. Perfect way to explain it. I think sensitive can come off you know, like, oh, I don't want to be that sensitive. So it's something, so I think it's been confusing for a lot of people. So I think you nailed it with that explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've kind of covered all these main hormones that we wanted to chat about. Before we veer off, what's, you know, one piece of advice that you would share with our listeners? With regards to hormones, you mean? Yes. Ooh, that's a great question. I would say one piece of advice is to not ignore your body's symptoms. And I say that because we are taught blatantly from childhood onwards, but especially as women, men, I know experience this too, but we are taught to ignore what our body is going through. Oh yeah. Your periods are supposed to be bad. You're probably supposed to be stressed because you're a student or you're a mom or you're in your twenties and you're figuring life out or you're postmenopausal. Yeah. Welcome to life sucking and you being overweight and unhappy. All of these symptoms that you experience that you are unhappy with or you know in your body and in your in your heart this is not me this is not me i'm holding on to more weight i'm i'm way more energetic than this like what is going on my periods should not be this bad like i deserve to feel better usually there are issues going on and a lot of them are going to be related to hormones not that hormones are the be all end all like we talked about last time they never become imbalanced for no reason but it is so important that you don't let people dismiss you or talk down to you or make you feel like your symptoms aren't real we have a a huge epidemic of that it is such an issue we get dismissed on our pain on our symptoms on our frustration left right and center so i would say be your own health advocate do not ignore your symptoms if someone's not listening to you find somebody else who will like try to have that conversation over and over again until someone gives you the time the care and the energy that you deserve because you deserve to feel awesome you really do maybe not every single minute of every single day you're going to fluctuate but the vast majority of the time you deserve to feel energized you deserve to have a sex drive you should have a nice cycle if you are still in your fertile years and you should have a great baseline of energy like that is very very important Incredible. Um, I think you summed it up perfectly. And um, I, I think we've taken so much away from this episode. Where can people find more information about you? 
yes, you can find everything that you need to know at vanessaolywellness.com. And I'm most active on Instagram at vanessaolywellness as well. Perfect. And I'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes below. Thank you. Thank you again for coming back. I'm so excited to have you steal you and have you back on the show. And we'll just uh, go deeper in toward these hormones and chat all about fertility and PMS. And I think it's just such a crucial conversation. So I so appreciate you being here. Yes. Thanks, Nikki. Let the games begin. Yes. I love it. All right. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> 